Well, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, my name is Matt. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Bethany, and this is a remarkable place. Let's just celebrate what God has done last week through all of you. Last week, we asked you to leave this place, to get up and go, and to take an immediate action on an immediate need by supplying two places that are on the forefront of ministry of helping women in crisis. Uh, That was Heart to Heart in Vincennes, and the Pregnancy Care Center in Washington. We asked to go for you to go get diapers and lotions and wipes and soaps. And guys, I'll tell you what, you knocked it out of the park. God used you in a powerful way. We are told by their estimates they have enough resources now to have uh, giveaways for the year. You, you, you were stockpiling for an annual <laughs> stockpile. Pretty awesome stuff. Well done, everybody. Well done. I'm so thankful that God has been using you. There's a couple more times throughout the summer where we're going to have kind of something similar, where we're just going to be asked to go and to do something that is very remarkable. And when we pull it all together, uh, we can get it done. But by ourselves, probably can't happen. All right, I want to introduce some weird into the room today, okay? Introduce some weird in the room and make it uncomfortable for you. I I want you to pull out your Connect card, which is in the chair rack in front of you or maybe on the seat that you sat down on, so it might be underneath you right now. Pull out this Connect card. There's a sermon notes section. It has no notes. It's just waiting for you to put pen down on paper. But I want to take 30 seconds, and I want you to write down. So you're going to need a pen. I want you to write down the things that you are good at. I want you to brag on yourself for a moment. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. We're going to start in three seconds. Two, one, go. Awkward silence. Write as many things as you're good at on that paper, things that you think you're good at or have been told you're good at. Some of you have chose not to participate, or some of you are saying you don't have anything that you're good at. Ten seconds. Four, three, two, one. Class, pins down, please. Pins down. Exam is over. Now keep that readily available. Keep that in front of you because we're going to use that as a part of the story this morning. And so also keeping weird in the room, something we don't do very often, is we're going to put the main text on the screens here, and I'm going to read them to you. I wanted to do this because typically we use the New International Version Bible. They have rephrased this story as they retranslated not long ago, and they call this now the parable of the bag of gold. But for traditional sense, it's been always called the parable of a talent, parable of the talents. And I want to read it out of that way from the Christian Standard Bible. It's Matthew chapter 25. Now you can follow along. It might be a little bit different than what we have on screen, but here goes. Follow along with me if you would. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents. Now guys, talents is not like an incredible gift. It is a sum of money. And it was a sum that was used uh, concerning weight, kilograms. And it was different throughout different societies. Greek and Rome all had different ways to measure this. But if it was a talent of gold, it'd be roughly about $1.4 million today. So that guy was given about $7 million by his master. To another two talents, and to another one, one talent. It's like huge amounts of money. Then it was depending on each one's ability. 
That's a phrase that you have to keep in mind. Then he went on his journey. He left. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. That is an incredible return. I want to know who does his investing. And in the same way, the man with two earned two more. He must have found the same guy. But the man who had received one talent went off, and he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. After a long time, long time had passed. He came and settled the accounts with them, and the man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have earned five more talents. And so his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. You see a repetitive thing going on in the scripture? Until you get to this guy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man. Reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid. I went off. I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. By the way, the guy made no investment. He didn't want to risk it. And his master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. Like you could have done something. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds a little, that sounds like a, a pretty big punishment, what Jesus is really emphasizing in this parable is something that I think we need to recognize within the room and in ourselves. It's a real simple point, and that is God expects me to make the most of what he's given me. God expects me to make the most of whatever it is that he's given me. Now, let me speak to the three groups that are in the room. There's five talent people here. It's a very small percentage. There's two talent people here. That's the majority of us. And there's one talent people in the room. Let me just speak to you that have more. Like, your life is all about more. More money, more time, more energy. Uh, You have more availability and more ability. You have more responsibility. You have more charisma. Maybe you have more knowledge, but you also have more scrutiny. You also have more pressure, don't you? Hey, may I remind you that in the context of something similar, what Jesus had said about those that have more, that consider themselves five-talent people, and may I just say to you, if you wrote down more than five things on your Connect card, You might as well consider yourself a five-talent person. Yeah, those are all the things that you just quickly came up with in 30 seconds and said, this is what I have to offer. Here's what Jesus says to you all, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Kind of a Spider-Man line, isn't it? And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And that's from the words of our own Lord that says to those that consider themselves five-talent people, I have a big expectation of you. 
I expect an awful lot of you because I have given to you an awful lot. Hey, that little phrase that was underlined in the text that we read on the screen, it said that the master gave to them their talents depending on their own ability, didn't it? Like he wasn't just equal and fair as we would know the world to be equal and fair and say, well, it doesn't matter about your ability, doesn't matter about your intellect, I'm just going to spread it all out evenly. No, no, no. He picked and he chose based on the one's ability. And there are some of you who are five talent people in this room that God is saying, I want you to be productive with what I gave to you. Be productive with it, not just for yourself, but for the vibrancy and the expansion of God's kingdom. You know what I love about this parable? It puts the one that has much in a good light. Now, the world doesn't do that anymore. Actually, the one that's doing good things and maybe having success in different areas of life, we say, well, they were given a help up. They, they owe back to society. And I think there's some truth to that. But we vilify these days. Uh, Jesus in this parable, he didn't vilify the one that was given much. No, he just had an expectation that they give back in return and they risk some things. Hey, I, I think it'd be frustrating to be a five-talent person. The five-talent people that I know in my life, they're frustrated because when they need help at the school, the school calls because they know they can bring the help. When they need something accomplished at school or at, at the job place that goes beyond their job description, they call that person because they know they can get it done. When someone has some kind of creativity need, they call that person because that person is more creative than the rest. And then they have to dish out time to their family. And then the church calls, people like me children's ministry calls, youth ministry calls, and they say, hey, can you help here? Because you are so talented. You have so much to offer. You have so much ability that your church could really prosper from this. And then you have to weigh your risk. Like, is this really where I want to plant my gifts? Is this where I want to put my talent? Is this the investment that I want to make? I think folks that are wealthy in this world, uh, they walk through this scenario. People come to him and say, you have some money, can you make a donation? People that are smart, who are intellectual, I think they have this issue. They're smart, and so the phone call rings, the email comes in, the text message happens, maybe you can help me out with this issue or this problem. I have a friend who is a doctor, and he tells me that he hates going to the store because he can never escape being the doctor. And in aisle five, someone will say to him, hey, doc, I got this rash here, you want to check it out real quick? Is it cancerous? Do you think it's cancerous? He says, I, I can't tell him if it's cancerous or not in the deli aisle. I have no idea. Five talent people, it can be frustrating because you have so much to offer and so many people want it from you. But, but let me tell you, why don't you honor God first with it? He expects you to honor him with it because he's the one that has blessed you with it. It's just going to take some risk. And that's what was demanded of those three in that story. Hey, let me talk to the two-talent people in the room, because that's the majority of us. The majority of us are two-talent people. We feel like we have something to offer, but not a whole lot to offer, certainly not as much as the five-talent people. And if you have anything from five down to two that you wrote out on your card, you're, let's just consider you a two-talent person for a moment. God instructs us to be productive. He expects just the same as if we had five talents to do the same with our two talents. He wants us to be productive with it. And what I love about it is he expects the same kind of risk to be done with a two-talent person as he did the five-talent person. See, he's not letting them off the hook. He's not saying just because you have two, it's not like you have five, so I'm not going to expect as much. No, 
The master expected just the same, that there would be a deposit, that there would be a risk and anticipation for a reward, that when the master returned, he could say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little bit, and I'm going to put you in charge of more. Hey, two-talent people, may I tell you that the, the church runs off of two-talent people? The fuel of the church is two-talent people. People that think, I don't have much to offer, but step out and step up and step in to help somebody, to help a situation, a scenario, a ministry. This place runs off of two-talent people. You have something to offer. I'm just asking, like the master, to step out and risk it and hope to God that there is a reward in your investment into the kingdom. Let me speak to the one-talent people in the room. Can I tell you that the guy who had one talent, he got one thing right. Oh, he got a lot of things wrong, but he got one thing right. You want, you want to know what he got right? He recognized that it wasn't his money. He recognized that it wasn't his giftedness. It was God that had blessed him with it. Hey, one talent, folks. I think it can be pretty easy to sit back and say, you know, God hasn't really given me much. God hasn't done much for me. God hasn't really created within me a, a, an intellect. He hasn't put into me a strength. He, I feel like just an average Joe that doesn't have much to offer. Friends, don't find yourself into the mentality that this one talent guy found himself in. Break free from that stuff. You have something to offer because God expects it. He's given it to you. Hey, this guy made some serious mistakes, that one talent guy. Mistake number one, he was fearful. I think fear holds us back the most from stepping out, stepping up, and helping out other people, don't you? Fear. Fear. This guy just flat out says, I was afraid. Like, Master, listen, I was afraid. I, I didn't want to step out of my comfort zone here. I didn't know what to do with this stuff that you blessed me with. Second, he was lazy. Isn't that the greatest condemnation from the master to the servant? You wicked, lazy servant. You were just lazy. You didn't want to work to make this happen. You didn't want to apply yourself. I think third, he was just unimaginative. He wasn't creative. Like, he just couldn't think outside of normalcy. Even the master says, listen, let me give you a little dose of creativity here. You could have gone to the bank and earned 0.02% interest at least and made me something. How about fourth? This is the worst of it. Self-pity, self-loathing. He just looks at the master and he says, master, you're a hard guy to work for. You're difficult to work for. I knew you were going to expect so much and I don't have very much to offer. No, no, God expected the same out of every single servant, didn't he? He expected the same, that you go and you make a deposit and that you have some risk and hopefully there'll be some reward and that things will happen. There'll be growth for God's kingdom. You know, some of you in this room, though, you go, I'm not a five-talent person, not a two-talent person, not even a one-talent person. Some of you were staring at me like a deer in a headlight as we were writing some things down. I don't know if you just didn't want to participate. Maybe it was tough for you to think of something you were good at in 30 seconds or less. Or maybe you just thought, I don't have anything to contribute. Maybe a handful of you looked at that blank page and you put the pen down, but nothing was scribbled down. Because you just couldn't think of anything in 30 seconds. And maybe even now you're concluding I'm a zero-talent person. May I mind you, there are no zero-talent servants in the story. And I think we can just conclude that Jesus is saying there are no zero-talent people. That he's invested in every single one of us. He's given us some kind of ability, some kind of strength, something to offer, something to contribute back to the kingdom. And if you're 
thinking now that you're a zero-talent person, let me just talk to you for just a few moments. Let me just remind you about our God that supplies our daily bread, that supplies every single need. Let me state it to us like this from a point from the story. God provides everything I need. Who gave to them the talents? The master. The master gave them the talents. He didn't say, go find some talents. Go work hard and make some talents for yourself. I'm going to give you five talents. I'm going to give you two talents. I'm going to give you a talent, but I'm going to give you something, right? Friends, God provides everything I need. And I know the problem here is the fear is, if I give it over to God, if I step out, if I risk like the five-talent, two-talent guy, is there going to be anything left over for me? Any time, talent, treasure left over for me? I got a lot of things that I want to do, too. Friends, God will supply all your needs according to His glorious riches, not yours. His treasury is much larger than yours. I just think back to the early church and what a daunting, huge undertaking it would be to start a movement like Christianity. And yet Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven, guys, it's on you. Hey, these guys had no real formal education. These men were just fishermen. They didn't know how to start a movement. They didn't know how to lead an organization. They didn't know how to take up an offering and be a treasurer of an organization and distribute funds. They didn't know how to do anything like that. They didn't know how to organize or press a movement out, and yet Jesus says to them in Acts chapter 1, you're going to receive some power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the city, Judea, that's the region, Samaria, that's a bigger providence, and to the ends of the earth, that's everywhere. Guys, that's a monumental task. Oh, and by the way, after Jesus says that, he says, see you later, fellas, you're on your own just about. But remember, that power's coming, it's called the Holy Spirit, you wait for it, and it will be there, but you have to act out upon it. You have to risk. I'm going to give you some ability. I'm going to give you some power like you've never had before. And let me tell you about those early Christians, how they started the church. God gave them the power to witness, and they overwhelmingly witnessed. Why? Because they risked reputation. They risked embarrassment. They risked their comfort settings. And they moved out with the gospel of Jesus Christ like we had never seen before. And thousands of people daily came to the Lord. Why? Because these unintellectual hayseeds stepped out and risked the little ability that God gave them. And the power of God was at work within them. And that risk turned into a miraculous reward. You see, God has given us a, a sense of power, not fear, in this life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us the spirit of timidity. That means the spirit of fear. No, He has given us the spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Friends, God has given you the power to press out your ability, not the spirit of fear. Anything that is fearful, that you look upon and say, I don't think we can get this done, that's not from the gates of heaven. That kind of thinking actually arises from the pits of hell. That is despair talk, not hope talk. Hope talk comes from heaven. It comes from God himself. Hope talk says, I have the power of Christ in me to love and to be self-disciplined to get the job done. And I know what those early disciples think. They, they probably thought like I think all the time. Hey, I might have the power to press out the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's really hard to love other people that are different than me. You ever felt that way? Like, how can I love people that are just different than me? They actually kind of annoy me. God says, I'm going to give you the power to love people. Actually, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the Apostle Paul says, Christ's love compels us. I love that word compel. It means to be pressed out. 
that we have received God's love, it's come to us to go through us. Friends, many of you were compelled last Sunday. You were compelled to receive God's love to come to you so it could go through you. To love on people that are different than you. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth because they relied on the power of God rather than their own power. They relied on the strength of God rather than their own strength. They relied on the talents that God had blessed them with rather than their own talents. And they stepped out and they did one thing differently than some of us do. They risked it. Oh, in the Christian circles, we call this risk faith. That there is assurance that as we step, God will make the ground solid. That we won't have our foot slip. That as we step in faith, what God has commanded us or blessed us to do, that he'll see to it that there is great reward in it for his kingdom and possibly even for you. Let me continue to speak to those that think they just have nothing to offer. May I just tell you that God has placed in you a passion. He has placed a passion in your heart. He has placed in me a passion in my heart. Every single one of us have that passion. Some of us have squandered it. Some of us have pressed it down. Some of us have removed it. Some of us now need to redeem it. We need to welcome it back and say, you know what? I had a passion. I had this in my life one time, and I've just, I've just misspent it. You know the master in the story? He doesn't come to the three guys and say, hey, before you invest, let me just help you make some sense of your investment. I want to introduce you to my investment guy here, my broker, and he knows how to really turn a profit and make some wise investment. No, no, he never said that. He didn't say, hey, you know what you guys need to do? There's a stock that's really doing well. You need to put it into the stock. Or this mutual fund, this is mutual fund, will carry the day. No, he wanted those servants to individually discover what it is they were good at and make the investment in that. That took some self-discipline, didn't it? Hey, for those of you in the room that think the church should force or spoon-feed everything into your life, let me just say to you, there has to be some spiritual responsibility, some spiritual personal responsibility upon yourself. Uh, Not waiting for the phone call or the email or the ask to serve, but to say, God has blessed me with one talent, two talents, or five talents. I'm going to just step out, step up, and help out because I've been blessed to be a blessing. It's going to take some self-discipline that's in the room. And let me tell you how you can find your passion, because some of you right now are like, I don't think I have a passion, man. My heart barely is beating. My wife tells me all the time, I'm cold inside. Let me tell you how God confirms passion to you. He usually does that through leaders in the church, or maybe it's in your job. Someone has said, you really do well at this, and maybe it's the accolades of others, and you find like, you find that your job comes easy to you and it's rewarding. Maybe that's a passion for you. Maybe it's in the church. There's a ministry that you're involved in. Or maybe it's a, a warm and kind smile that you have. And someone just identifies it in you and says, you know what? I see this in you. We call these I see in you moments around here in church leadership. And someone just confirms this to you, that you have a passion in you. That con- confirmation is uh, bringing certainty. That what you're doing or what you think you've been called to do is of God. The Apostle Paul did this to a young man in ministry by the name Timothy. You can read some letters that Paul sent to this young man in First and Second Timothy. Uh, those letters are written to that young man. And Paul speaks into this young guy's life. And here's what he tells them. He says, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And, and I am now persuaded now lives in you also. Paul's saying, I see in you, Timothy, I see in you that you have this gigantic faith brewing in you. 
I'm going to confirm it in you that I see something special happening within you. For this reason, I'm reminding you, take some personal responsibility and fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I'm confirming it. Listen, here's, here's kind of a translation. Timothy, your faith is genuine, just like your mama's and just like your grandma's. And I think that you can have full potential if you just fan into flame, if you just develop yourself, if you just spend your talent in God's kingdom and you keep that faith ablaze. Friends, the power of confirmation is gigantic. Let me tell you how it's affected my life. I had two Sunday school teachers who I was just a jerk to, who kept loving me and loving me and loving me. And finally, as a senior in high school, these were my sixth grade Sunday school teachers. They followed me all the way up to the eighth grade. They finally just said, Matt, here's what we see in you. We see that you have the ability to communicate. It may be the wrong way, but we think that God can get a hold of it and you can do it the right way. And so they encouraged me to do this sermon that was in front of uh, like 1,200 different high school students. Very nerve-wracking. I didn't have a clue what to say. Like, I can't believe in that day I didn't have a clue what to say. I couldn't even speak 10 minutes. Now you can't contain me to 30 minutes. I had no idea that I'd be this guy. Like, I never thought of myself as a preacher. And I remember there were more stories than scripture. I remember that I was like a drill instructor speaking rather than like a tender-hearted preacher it was disastrous, guys. I walked away from that day thinking, I'll never do that again. Okay, check mark, complete, right? Just now I know I'm not to do that. It was months later that my youth minister came to me. He was in the audience that day as he heard the sermon. I had completely forgot about it, Mis- uh, totally made a new direction for my life. Ministry was not an option for me. He pulled me out of a worship service like this. Immediately, I thought I was in trouble and found out I wasn't in trouble. He took me to the commons room. He grabbed, commons, he grabbed me by the shoulders, and here's what he said to me. You don't know it yet, but God's going to do some great things through you if you're willing just to step out and do it. Yeah, I completely dismissed that in the moment. But as God worked on my heart, I recognized all these ways in which these men and women in my life have confirmed in me that I'm now doing the right thing at the right time at the right place. Don't underestimate the power of someone coming to you and say, I see this in you. Would you just step out and do it? It could be like God's audible voice to you. Some of you are in this room, you're thinking, yeah, people have said that to me before. Like, you'd be great in the children's ministry. You'd be great in youth. You'd be great at being in the parking lot, saying hi to people, welcoming in and out of the, being the first pinpoint of light in their darkness. You'd be great doing this or that. Hey, if, if you haven't stepped out and stepped in to help someone out, man, on that same Connect card that you have in your hand right now, there's a little tear-off sheet and it says, my next step at the bottom, my next step, you may want to write, I want to serve at Bethany and take a risk and spend your talent into the kingdom of God and see how he can use that talent to do immeasurably more than you ever thought or expected. Friends, some of you are like, well, you know, I got a kind of a, a rough personality and a bad past. Okay, rough personality, head to the parking lot. We'll put you in the very back of the parking lot and you can direct people to where they need to go in a very rough way. Some of you are like, I, I got a very tender personality. Great, perfect for the nursery. You're like, yeah, but I've got a past, man. I got a, 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 you know, God will never waste anything in your life. He can redeem your past. He can use that pain. He can use that test. He can, choose, he can do the most remarkable things if you just step 
out. Some of you are like, you know what? I, I know what it's like to move from one community to another community and how hard it is to find a church home that you can really love and gravitate to. Perfect. You'd be awesome at welcoming people under the doors for the first time and recognizing people who are new to the community and saying, I once was like that and here's what I found at Bethany or here's what I found in Christ. Allow your past to be used as an experience so that others can be drawn to Christ. You see, God also stirs our heart with a great burden. This is a way to find passion. What's that burden that's on your heart? What's that, what's that concern that you have? Like, burden can't be faked. This is real stuff. Sometimes it can be pushed back and hidden away, but God has given us a burden for things. Maybe that burden is for that single mom. Maybe that burden is for that working dad. Maybe that burden is for Children that don't have a mom or dad, and it's adoption or foster care. I don't know what that burden is for you, but certainly God has laid something on your heart that you say, something needs to be done here. That's God calling you to get it done. Are you willing to risk and to step out and to step up and to help out? You see, he's given you that heart for that certain situation, for those things. I mean, I just think how the world would be a little different if people just didn't step out with the burden that God put on them. You ever heard of the name of Bill Bright? Bill Bright is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Millions of students across the United States have given their life to Christ because of the ministry that Bill Bright had founded decades ago on UCLA's campus. You see, he sat there and thought, someone ought to be ministering to college kids. And instead of waiting for a church to push a program through or for someone else to do it, he decided, I'll do it. And he just started in the quads of that campus, talking to students and telling them about Jesus, and that turned into a giant evangelistic organization that has reached millions for Christ. How about Dr. James Dobson? Nearly everybody in this room has probably been ministered to by Dr. James Dobson and his ministry called Focus on the Family. You know, he would sit back and he'd say, somebody ought to minister to these people. Somebody ought to counsel these people, and then God laid a great burden on his heart for marriages, laid a great burden on his heart for, for parenting, and he decided to start focus on the family. Just think what this world would be like if those two ministries weren't around. If men and women just didn't say, God, you laid that burden. I want to step up. I want to step out and help out. Man, I can't imagine how we would have got it done in Vincent's and started with a firm foundation without 50 plus difference makers. People who serve around here saying, I'm going to make an extra sacrifice. I'm going to worship at the Washington campus. I'm going to serve at the Washington campus, but I'm also going to make the drive on Sunday morning, and I'm going to serve at the Vincennes campus as well. And they stood up, they stepped out to help out. And they had this great burden to see a church prosper in Vincennes, and they weren't going to wait on anybody else to get it done. They are going to make sure it got done. And friends, there's some big things ahead of us in Vincennes. On, October, or rather on uh, August the 11th, uh, we'll have new service times there, adding a new service at 9.30 a.m., uh, 11 a.m. It will stay the same, but you know what that means, Vincennes? That there's going to have to be many of you to step up, step out, and to help out. It's a time to be a difference maker, a time to serve, to give, to go. And his ministry around this place, Bethany, at Vincent's in Washington, continues to increase. More of us are going to have to say, I've got five talents. I'm willing to use them. i got two talents, Lord. I'm ready to use them. i got one talent, God. Would you put it to work? 
and invest into the kingdom of God. And I think about those who have invested into this church that have done remarkable things like Vicki Morello and her whole team of difference makers who minister to our fifth through eighth graders. You know, we have an amazing nationally known ministry right here at Washington in Vicki Morello and those difference makers. You know, there's not a lot of ministries that minister to the fifth and eighth graders in one ministry moment. Oh, they do fifth and sixth and then seventh and eighth. She's like a pioneer of this. And so she couldn't find too many churches that were doing it this well. So she got a hold of these people and got a hold of ministers that respected in the nation. And she just learned how to do this. And this team had a burden, a burden for, for middle schoolers and junior hires and say, how can we make this a moment where church becomes something that they want to go to, where they want to learn, where they want to love, where they want to worship? How can we make it that moment? And they've turned it into that. And for two years, that ministry has just been a nothing but... Uh, and up into the right curve of growth. I've got kids in my house right now, three boys, two sixth graders and an eighth grader that love to come to church. Because one lady and her team said, certainly we can do this better. My burden is for these students. I want to see them ministered to in a very powerful way. And they stood up and they stepped out to help out. Didn't matter if they had five talents or two talents or one talent. They were willing to take a step of faith and bless others because they've been blessed. And I wonder what it would be like if uh, Jesus were to retell this parable. And as one of the examples of the servants, he chose you to be one of the examples. Like he used your name specifically. And where would he put, where would he put it? What do he say? Uh, and in and you were like the five, or you were like the two, or you were like the one. I would say the majority of us would say, we don't have much to offer, so uh, Jesus would probably put me in the part of one talent. Maybe two, but not five. Like we would probably sit here and say, I don't really have much to offer. I don't have much. Can I just remind you of the one who told this story? The one who told the parable. Jesus. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have a, a dresser full of clothes. He says about himself, he didn't have a place to lay his head. But the foxes did, he didn't. The psalmist says there was nothing about his physical appearance that would draw us to him. Meaning he didn't have a million dollar smile. The charisma probably wasn't off the charts. Everything that he had, he relied on his father to give to him. His powerful authority. His storytelling ability. His miraculous power to raise the dead. That all came from God. You see, the one thing that he did have, he gave. That was his life. And as we talk about giving to the Lord and standing up, stepping out, and helping out, friends, there is something more important than that if you first have not given Christ your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You see, before we can give to Him anything, we have to give to Him everything. And just as Jesus has walked and shown us the example that it doesn't matter if we think we have a lot or if we have a little, 
It's about giving to God our all. Are you willing to risk today giving God your all and stepping out in faith so that he can richly reward those around you?